team. If you have your Bibles, would you pull them out to Romans chapter 12? We're in the midst of a series called Committed to Worship. And we've been looking at Romans chapter 12, and I got to tell you, personally speaking, this has been pretty challenging, but it's been eye opening. The Word of God is beautiful, it's gracious, it's life changing. I want to uh, review for you briefly what we've been talking about in the first three parts of this series. So if you have Romans 12 open at verse 1, would you let me give you an incredibly quick crash course reminder of where we've been and where we're going to be heading today. Remember what Paul said. He says, I appeal to you. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you. That's really God making an appeal through Paul. God pleading, begging, imploring. That's what that word means. He's appealing to Christians, brothers, us. And he says, here's the basis of my appeal. For 11 chapters, I've written to you about God's mercies. And you remember what God's mercies means. It means the compassion that flows from God. It's his response to when we're suffering because of sin. So all these mercies of God, all this compassion of God. Friends, listen, God loves you. God knows when you suffer. God feels when you suffer. In fact, his heart, the Bible says, springs forth streams of mercy. And those streams of mercy come flowing to you and they come flowing to me. It says, I appeal to you, I beg you, because of all the mercies of God, chiefly Jesus on the cross, because if God would give you everything of his, including his son, He says, on that basis, I appeal to you, take your bodies, take your lives and place them on the altar for God. Not just the flesh, because that word bodies means everything in your life. Friends, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, give God everything. Place all of who you are on the altar, not as a dead sacrifice. He wants live sacrifices. He wants your minds. He wants your energy. He wants your mouths. He wants your feet and your hands and your actions, your feelings. He wants all of who you are to live, to say no to who you are, to your will, and to say, yes, God, I will live for you. He's not done. He says, make sure that's holy. You know what that, do you remember what that word meant? It means exclusively God's. Not part God's and part world. God, I'm going to give you this much of my faithfulness and the rest I'm keeping in reserve just in case you drop the ball. He says, give everything holy is exclusively to God. And guess what, friends? Listen, this is what God says. Those of us who give everything to God, it's extraordinarily pleasing, acceptable. It means God loves it. Do you remember what Paul said? He says, this is your spiritual worship. This is what makes sense. This is just logical. If God gives you everything, it's only logical to give him everything back, all of who you are. That's what worship is. Worship isn't only the worship team leading us to sing. Worship is service. That's what that word means in the Greek. It means that I will give a lifelong service to God. Now, last week, if you remember... We looked at the really hard hard reality 
And that was, if we're going to live a life of committed worship, it's going to require two changes. And all of us, without exception, are going to have to make these changes. And Paul, in his grace, tells us what they are. And the first one is, we can no longer be shaped by the world. Did you know in Japan? I didn't know this. This is pretty cool. They prepare, the way that they prepare their full grown watermelons for shipment is they put them in glass cases that are in the shapes of squares and they grow their melons into square shapes. Do you know that? Because they ship easier and they go in your refrigerator easier. That's true. Friends, that's what the world wants to do. If we're not going to be conformed to the world, then we can't, we can no longer allow the world to shape us into its image, to squeeze us into its mold. That's what it means to not long, to no longer be conformed to the world. How do we not be conformed to the world that we live in? Well, Paul's told us in Galatians, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That is the world. It's the cross of Christ. Friends, it's the gospel that has the power to take us, to, to allow us to live in the world, but not be of the world, not be squeezed into its image. Do you remember what the world wants? The world opposes God It hates God. It's antagonistic to God. The Christian that's being shaped by the world is the Christian that says, God, I don't want you running my life in this area. I want to take the throne. I want to live on that throne. I want to be the master of my domain and I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the shape the world wants. And Paul says, if you're going to live a life of committed worship, serving God with all of who you are, then number one, you can no longer, you must stop letting the world shape you into its mold. But there's another change, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Look what he says. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Here it is, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's change number two that's got to happen in our lives if we're going to commit ourselves fully to God. It's God must transform us by the renewing of our minds. And let me tell you two truths you're going to hear this morning. Here they are. Number one, we're going to talk about transformation being a work that God does in us. And here's the second one. God does that work by renewing our minds. What does all that mean? Here we go. You ready? You're going to get a lot of truth this morning. And I can promise you and guarantee you, you're not going to digest it all in the next 20 minutes. You're going to need to get on the website. You're going to need to listen again. If you're really serious about this, you're going to need to study on your own Romans 12 and other scriptures. Did you know that I put all of my notes on the word on the website? You know how ridiculously dumb that is? Because everything that I say wrong is recorded in infamy forever. <laughs> Matt Millen's shaking his head. He knows. Yeah, I'm sure. Here we go. Transformation is a work that God does in us. Here we go. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Friends, listen, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of living a dull, defeated depressing existence. It's hardly the life that God gave us in Christ. 
I know so many believers who would characterize themselves as living a dull, depressing, defeated life. I hear it all the time. God wants to give us victory. He wants to give us a rich and a powerful and supremely satisfying life. And Paul's about to teach how we can have that. Be transformed. Here we go. I want you to think. This is not complicated. But you're going to feel like you're in English class. I shouldn't have told you that. But I'm going to explain it. I'm going to make it so wonderfully, beautifully simple for you. Here we go. Be transformed is in the passive voice of the Greek. Now, what on earth does that mean? Here we go. The passive voice in the Greek means this. You ready? It means something done to us by an outside force. Something that is done by an outside force. Transformation is not something that we can do to ourselves. Friends, listen, it must be done to us. Here's what I mean by the passive voice, and I'm going to compare it to the active voice in the Greek in a really simple metaphor. You ready? If I were to tell you that I'm going to the Super Bowl... That would be an active voice. What's a passive voice? If I were to tell you that I'm being taken to the Super Bowl, that's a passive voice. You see the difference? One is I'm going to go. The passive, which is in mind here, is that somebody is going to take me to the Super Bowl. You see, the one who is transforming us is the Holy Spirit. And how do I know that? Here's what it says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here it is. Here's the answer. Here's the passive voice for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now, friends, who's transforming you? God. Now, hold on. Because point number two is that be transformed is an imperative. You know what an imperative is? If you've ever been in the military, you'll know what an imperative is. It's a command. It's a command to be transformed. Well, Pastor Tim, you just said transformations from somebody else outside of you, and now you're telling us that we're commanded to be transformed. How does that make sense? Here's what it means. While we cannot transform ourselves, now listen, we must gladly... And willingly cooperate with the Holy Spirit who can. That's what Philippians is saying. Now listen to this verse. You're familiar with it. This is beautiful. Look at the two edges of this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now get this. Ready? So now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out, which means to complete and finish. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works. That word means energizes, empowers. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, we've got a responsibility to finish, to complete, to cooperate with the work, with the spirit of God as he does the work in our hearts. You know what? If you ever wanted to run a race, Something's got to give you the power to get to that starting line, to get off that starting line and make it to the finish line. If you have no power, you have no strength, you cannot complete the race. 
But if you get up to that finish line and you got all the power in the world, but then you say, no, I don't feel like running today. I'm tired of running. You're not going to go anywhere. You see, God wants to transform us. He has the power to transform us, but we must cooperate with him in the process. That's what Paul is saying. But there's one more packed, powerful truth about be transformed. You ready? And I think I'm going to confuse you. I'm going to make this so clear. Be transformed is in the present tense. Not only is it the passive voice in the Greek, not only is it a passive imperative command in the Greek, it's in the present tense in the Greek. What on earth does that mean? Here's what it means. It means the transformation. I love this. It's not a one-time event. It's a gradual, ongoing process. Let me comfort you, brother and sister. Transformation tells us that our confidence is in the Spirit of God who slowly, bit by bit, day by day, transforms us as we cooperate with Him into the one He wants us to be. you really believe this? I mean, honestly, I want you to think. Get your minds in gear interact, do you really, really believe that day by day, bit by bit, God, through the Holy Spirit, while we cooperate with Him, is transforming us into the image of Christ? Do you really see that in your life? You know what I hear? From my brothers and sisters, I'll never be able to defeat this sin in my life. I'm never going to mature in my faith. Do you see, that's a faith that does not yet believe that it's God who, through His Spirit, is the architect of transformation. That's a legalistic faith in almost every sense that says, I've got to figure out how to change myself. And you are doomed to despair until you realize the truth. It is God who sovereignly will change your life as you work in partnership with Him. We're learning that God finds the totally committed Christian, I love this, extraordinarily pleasing. He loves that. And He's going to help us change so that we can live a life of service to Him. Now, I don't usually show you the Greek words. But I am this morning because you're going to see why in a minute. It's almost perfectly translated into the English. Transformed is this Greek word. Metamorpho. You're familiar with it because you say metamorphosis. It means an inward change. you got to get this. It's an inward change that is reflected in an outward appearance. And that's not complicated. It's an inward change reflected in an outward appearance. You see, a believer that is being transformed, metamorphosized, lives differently. Got to get this because she is different. God's changing us inwardly. And the result is, friends, we speak differently. We think differently. We love differently. We live differently. Maybe it's a peace 
that you've never experienced before, and all of a sudden it just seems to course throughout your heart. Maybe somebody comments that, you know what, you don't swear like you used to. You don't fly off in a rage like you used to when things don't go your way. Or you notice that you're able to say no to a certain temptation that used to just overpower you. Or maybe gossip in a critical tongue are now foreign languages where before you spoke them fluently. Simply put, friends, listen, you are different today because God has made you different. That's transformation. You know what we used to do at our youth ministry retreats? I used to love this. We used to do spiritual fashion shows. Okay, I know, it's the lamest thing you've ever heard from a youth pastor, but it worked. I don't know, most things work in youth ministry if you just act like it's going to work. Well, this is... This is... Because we're smarter than teens. Just admit it, teens. Here's one that worked. I used to get everybody on our retreats and, and, and uh, I, would, I would speak to them this scripture. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. I used to teach them what that meant. And when I had everybody understanding that word, that scripture, I would bring up one person from the audience. Maybe I'd bring up Jack Templeton, who I can only imagine what he looked like as a teen. I love that man. And I'd bring Jack up and I'd put my arm around Jack and I'd speak to everybody else and I'd say, listen, she, he needs to know what you're seeing of Christ in his life. So what is it that you're seeing that is changing in Jack's life. And things would be shouted out. You know what? He's always joyful. It's almost always true. He always thinks about everybody else more than himself. That is a work of God. Jack's somebody that we can always go talk to because you know he's not going to judge you. He's going to listen and then give you the word of God and help you know how to go. See, we used to do that in youth ministry retreats. And when, when we were done with that, I would go up afterwards to that teen and I'd say, what, what did that feel like? Awkward? Really, really good. I didn't know people noticed. Do you tell people what you're seeing that is authored by God and you know it's being cooperated in with, with by them? Because God is transforming His people into the image of His Son. How does He do it? How does transformation actually work? Well, here we are. You ready? The second part of verse 12. The second part of, the second part of that. But be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Transformation happens, friends, when our minds are renewed. And I'm going to give you a metaphor I think makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense to anybody else, but I'm going to try to break this down as simply as I can and powerfully as I can. Here we are. You ready? You got to follow with me. The natural person, that's the person without Christ, 
is unable to understand and agree with the truth of God. That's what Paul says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But look at friends, here's, here's what you have if you're in Christ, but we have the mind of Christ. There's two different minds here, two different ways of thinking and being able to receive God's word. You see, the natural man, they could build airplanes. They could do open heart surgery. They do well in the things that pertain to this earth. But listen, when it comes to spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge and the willingness to live out that knowledge and obedience, they have no capacity. So here's my metaphor. The mind of every person outside of Christ works like an AM receiver. And they're only able to pick up AM signals. Because their minds, Paul says, quote, are darkened, darkened in their understanding. You see, Paul's already taught this in Romans chapter 8. He's already explained all this. Here's what he said. For those who live according to the flesh, get this metaphor, Dial their minds, set their minds, turn their minds to this station. Here's the station, the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they dial, they turn, they hit the button of the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So listen, the amen, the am mind is the mind that is tuned to the flesh and only receives the signals from this world. And you know what those signals are always saying? Oppose God. Be antagonistic to God. Don't let people tell you how to live. Don't believe that God tells you how to live. There is no God. If there is a God, He's gone. Live the way you want. Live out your dreams, Disney. Live out your heart. Because your heart's good. That's the world. That's the signals that the AM mind receives every day. It's conforming to the world, and together with the world, those minds are hostile and opposed to God. I'm not over-exaggerating this. This is what the Scripture says. The world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, natural men and women, so that they cannot know and see the truth. Paul says, 2 Corinthians, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what Satan does. He blinds the people of the world. But thank you, Jesus, who opens blind eyes. Because the word of God says their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Here it is. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Now, friends, I know some of this is really, really not very exciting. I understand that, but this is bedrock truth. That's why when you witness 
to your friends, when you live your life on the mission field, when you decide to give money to the church in hard economic times, your friends are going to look at you like you're crazy. Because all they can get is the AM signal. Live for today. But us, those in Christ, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we've got an FM receiver. We can, re- we can receive signals of another kind through the word of God. We have a new mind, a new nature. We're now able to hear and understand and love the powerful, clear transmission of the word of God. Now we can think like Christ. Now our attitudes and our perspectives are new. And now we as Christians must be tuned to the things of this world, of the, of the spirit. Now, friends, listen, we're getting, I'm setting the stage for what Paul means for renewing the mind. This happens through the powerful word of God. As it changes our minds and transforms us into the image of Christ. But friends, listen, how many of you listen to 88.9, the word FM? Now, you're going to know what I'm saying in a second. We drive around town and we're listening to the word FM and you can get it in on 88.7 or 88.9 in this area. And every hundred yards, you have to change which one you're on. Because as you're driving, static starts to come in. So you pop that button again. My kids, they think it's a big joke. This is Christian radio. That's what it's like, Christian. To live every day in the world, there's static. There's squelching that comes in. And sometimes you used to get so much out of the Word of God. And now you go read the Bible and there's really not anything there. Because that's what the world wants to do. It wants to silence your ability to hear God. Renewing the mind is hitting the button. Renewing the mind is clearing the channel. Renewing the mind is hearing God again. Renewing the mind is now saying, wow, the word of God is powerful. It's living. It's active. It's transforming me. But what does renewing mean? What does it really mean, that word renewing? You know what? The best word that I can come up with in the English, here it is. I think this is explosive and beauty. Renovate. That's what it means. It means to renovate out with the old, in with the new. Colossians 3 says our minds are being renovated as we set them on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because if we set our minds, tune our dials, set our station to the things of this world, we're going to be pulsed and moved and squeezed into the world's image. Archbishop Trench, he wrote it this way. I love this. He says, renewing the mind is a gradual conforming of the man more and more to that new spiritual world into which he has now been introduced and in which he now lives and moves. The restoration of the divine image. And in all this, so far from being passive, he must be a fellow worker with God. That's what it means to be renewed. Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. 
As our minds are being renewed, our lives are being transformed, we're being made more like Christ, the static is diminished, we can think redeemed thoughts, we have Christian attitudes, we love God, we love one another, we're willing to be servants. That's what it means to live with a renewed mind. Day by day, friends, it's not a once and done thing, oh good, I read the Bible today, good for two weeks. Day by day. Our minds are renewed as we meditate and study the Word of God. And as we do, His Spirit breaks the hold of the lies and the distorted thinking in our minds and empowers us, enables us to live Christ-exalting, committed, God-glorifying, worship-filled lives. It's the mind that's being renewed. What's being renewed? Paul says it's the mind. But how many of us really know what the mind means? We say it all the time. Glenn introduced last year retreat at our board retreat, top of mind. Out of mind, out of sight, or out of sight, out of mind. What's the word mind really mean? You ready? It's the New Testament word that's equivalent to the word heart in the Old Testament. Well, Pastor Tim, that was remarkably not helpful. Here's what it means. Here's what it means. It's the control center of our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. That's what the word mind means. It's the operational center of all of who we are. It's the thinking heart. Now, friends, listen. It's not just, the mind is not just a repository of knowledge, like a library collects books. That's not what it is, because those who think it is go to Hackman's every other day and buy a new book thinking, if I just read this book, I'm going to find the key to freedom and my life's going to change. That's Gnosticism. There's nothing wrong with reading books. I read a lot of them. But I read books that are going to move me to Christ, who alone has the power to change. So the mind isn't just this storehouse of really, really interesting information. It's not a computer who gathers data and then presents it to the heart for appropriate behavior and emotional responses. Here's the mind. It's alive. You have a mind inside of you and it's alive. It's your viewpoint. It's your mindset. It's your perspective. It's your attitude. Does your attitude ever stink? Your mind stinks. Is your attitude ever changed for the glory of God? Your mind is changed for the glory of God. What if somebody offends you deeply and you follow down that familiar path of hurt, irritation, simmering anger, And then all of a sudden your thinking kicks in and it defends you and implicates that person. How wrong they were to say that because of all the things you are and have done. Friends, this is your mind at work. And so you self-righteously avoid that person because you know what? When you avoid them, they're going to know and they're going to feel bad for what they did. 
And all the while, our minds are in overdrive. All the while, our perspective is, I don't deserve what they did to me. I'm right. I'm not wrong. And they're going to need to pay for their mistake. Now, don't think you don't do this. We all tend to do this. What do we need at that moment? You ready? Five verses of Scripture. Here's your scripture verse. Take it in the morning and I'll see you in two weeks. That's moralism. That's not how the God work, the word of God works. We need the word of God to expose, to just lay it out there, cut it right down to the middle of the motives and the thoughts of our heart, expose it, judge our hearts, and then remind us that we have a high priest who's our mediator, Jesus Christ. And though guilty, he's ready to give grace. And he'll take that away the moment we confess and repent. It's an attitude adjustment. It's heart transformation. We don't need to play judge, jury, and executioner. We can stop setting our minds on our offended flesh. And we can set them on what delights God. See, that's how the mind is renewed. It shifts fundamentally so that we will want to forgive, so that we will want to overlook, so that we'll want to pour out grace to the one who offended me. It's the renewing, the renovation of the mind and friends that occurs potentially hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. How do we get our minds renewed? And this is my final point. As we saturate our minds with a living and active word of God, the spirit of God day by day renovates our mind so that we see, we think, we feel, and we live the way God wants us to live. You want to hear how David explained it in Psalm 1? This is so brilliant. Because it is Romans 12, 1 and 2 in one psalm. Here it is. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, friends, listen. All David's saying is what Paul said. Don't conform to the world. And it goes on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day And night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That's what it means to be transformed by the renewing of your mind when you no longer conform to the world. Can I ask you a question? Please be honest. You don't need to respond to me. Just be honest between you and God. It's all I ever ask. What are you doing with the Word of God? Do you bring it out to come to church and stow it away until next Sunday? Or are you day by day studying, meditating, looking at, memorizing, hiding it in your heart so that the Word of God changes the fundamental way you think, your attitudes, and your perspectives. And while it gives you the mind of Christ, it transforms you into the life of Jesus. 
Can I say this, friends? This is the most often asked question in ever in my ministry. For 15 years, I've asked this question. What are you doing with the Word of God? Because if you will not study God's Word, if you will not come daily meditating on it, you cannot help but be conformed to the world. That's what Paul is saying. If you want to live committed, fully, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my, on my own. I've got to have the Word of God renewing my mind daily, often throughout the day, and it's transforming my life so that I won't want to say yes to the world, so that I'll hate when the world pushes me into its mold. And that's how you live committed. That's worship. That's the Word of God. Maybe the best place for you to start, honestly, and I mean it as lovingly as my pastor's heart can, just picking this back up and saying, Lord, I will commit to every day burying myself, whether it's 10 minutes to start, 30 minutes, or an hour, every day I will study and show myself approved, and I will eagerly wait for you to renew my mind and transform my life. Because that's what worship is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I love your word. God, it has changed my life so much, and there's so much left to be changed. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. God, I pray that they would no longer stow that Bible away and take it out intermittently, but every day meditate, day and night, Lord, on your word. Lord, they will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and everything they do in your sight will prosper for your glory. God, teach us to fully commit ourselves to you. Transform us to be able to be living sacrifices, Lord, that are wholly, exclusively yours and extraordinarily pleasing to you. May it be evident in the way that we serve you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.